This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice. Uh, good afternoon, Steve Hornyak. I'm uh, Chief Commercial Officer with Fabric, uh, formerly Common Sense Robotics. And Common Sense Robotics is in the micro-fulfillment space. And uh, what I love about grocery is it, there's a, a massive move and dynamic happening in the grocery market relative to e-commerce. Um, it's a wave. It's a tsunami. It's coming at everybody. And everybody's trying to figure out how they can either take advantage of it or are they going to get washed away in the wave. So uh, we're right in the middle of the mix of things, and we're here to help grocers um, optimize through their e-commerce by being able to deliver the dream of online e-commerce fulfillment profitably within one hour. Imagine multi-tenant and private networks of automated micro-fulfillment centers that combine the speed of local delivery with the efficiencies and scale of robotic fulfillment. Proprietary robotic and AI technology enables retail and CPG partners to profitably deliver to their online customers within one hour and scale their operations as their businesses grow. That's what a company called Fabric does. And host Rob Sanchez, along with Anne-Marie Stevens, talked with Fabric's chief commercial officer on location at Grocery Shop. You're listening to Grocery is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the food and grocery industries. Recorded on location. Grocery is Your Business is about the intersection of business and technology. It's about the changing and rapidly expanding um, impact of technology inside of a fairly traditional industry. And so we love to hear from people who are on that cutting edge and that cusp. And Steve, I'd love to have you dive into what it is that you're doing and the way that you fit into that uh, change. Sure, absolutely. I appreciate it. So uh, it's really interesting because the grocery market in general is a pragmatic market. So pragmatic meaning that they are typically later adopters of technology than a lot of the other markets out there. Um, but they're being forced into a whole paradigm shift uh, with e-commerce coming, whether it be click and collect, whether it be um, click to deliver or any combination of. Uh, and it's coming, it's coming quite quickly into it. So the whole premise that we at Fabric have built our platform off of is that customers are becoming impatient. They've actually become impatient. And it's not just for groceries, it's for all um, purchases that are happening today where they want to be able to pick up their mobile device or pick up their uh, computer and go onto a site and order, and they expect it to be delivered quickly. Yeah. So it's moving in one hour, right? So one day, two day is kind of old. So if you're thinking one day, two day, next day, by the time you implement that technology, it's already going to be outdated. So what, what has happened is, so you've got to, in order to be able to realize this with your customers, you've got to get closer to your customers, right? So to get closer, you've got to go micro. Existing fulfillment um, channels out there today are large fulfillment centers that are outside of the high-density areas, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of, of square feet. And a lot of people are focusing on automating that. Well, sure, you can automate that, but fundamentally, that's, that's, that's trying to teach a, di teach a dinosaur to sprint, 
right? It, 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 you just, it, it's, it's I like not the visual there. of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe too much, right? So I, I, I could have said a pig, but um, so it's teaching. So it's taking this old technology and trying to repurpose it for this kind of same day profitable. Fundamentally, it doesn't work. So what's happening? Uh, people are forcing it and they're losing money. So mm-hmm. you've got to get close, okay? So in order in order to to be able to realize it, if I'm a click to deliver or click to pick up within an hour, right? And that's the whole paradigm shift that's happening. Uh, you've got to get close to your customers. So you, in order to go close, you've got to go micro. And in order to do it profitably, you've got to be automated. Hence, automated micro fulfillment, which is what Fabric is all about. Um, and then some of the options out there today is, is you know, I'm sure everyone is well aware, you go in the grocery store and you see people walking up and down the aisles picking the shelves clean. Okay, you yeah. just really hit a <laughs> that, sore spot. Yeah. Rob, I'm just going to let you yep. run my so, <laughs> um, That's an area, I used to go to the Whole Foods next to us to sure. walk my toddler. Sure. And now I can't because there's so many people from Breakaway and from Amazon Prime shopping the aisles right. that it's unsafe. And they're doing in-store replenishment constantly because the shelves are being used as a warehouse. Exactly. And so I literally can't walk my kid. So, yeah, that's a that's a really like frustrating. He actually asked to go back, and I can't take him back. It, it, it is, and you hit the nail on the head. It was. Um, I'll, I'll tell you interesting another story. So I was, I was, we were out the other night, you know, having cocktails and going to dinner, and my wife ran into some of her friends, and the friends were sitting there talking, and one of them openly said she didn't know what I did for a living. Yeah. She openly started complaining about how much she hates going to the grocery store because in walking that she's getting run over by people that yeah. are picking for the online e-commerce fulfillment. Yeah. So it, it's and it's not in every store. There's pockets of where you've got high velocity of e-commerce. You know, people are saying the grocery store e-commerce is at five percent, is at three percent, is at eight percent. I'm a firm believer it's it's higher than what everyone thinks right now. Somewhere between five upwards towards seven or eight. Um, but you've got pockets in the U.S. where it's 20 and 30 percent. So in essence, you've taken a grocery store and turned it into a warehouse during normal hours. Yep. <laughs> well, I would also say, too, those stores aren't designed for that. They were designed for a different level of, shop, you know, like customer-facing yeah. shopability. I mean, this whole planogramming, store design, layout, it's right. not a warehouse Absolutely. layout, which is, those are very different things. Right. So yeah. you, so this is lipstick on a dinosaur. So we talked about a dinosaur. Now we're putting yeah. lipstick on the dinosaur. And, and what do I mean by that? So, uh, again, the customers are demanding a click to fulfill same day, one hour, right? So what are, what are people doing? They're saying, well, heck, let me, the only way for me to do that, I've got to be close to my customers. That's my store. Okay. Yeah. So now what am I doing? I'm going to go do that manually myself. We're going to pick it, totally disrupting the shopping experience. Number one. Number two is it's highly unprofitable. So yeah. it's a very high cost item to take a human and walk up and down an aisle and, and fulfill an order and then only charge four or five dollars or a hundred dollar annual fee and do that profitably. So you're eroding your margins. So the grocery stores are eroding the margins by doing it manual. Yeah. So it's got to go automated, guys. It's just a it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of yeah. when you do it and a matter of what technology and what technology partner you do it with. Do you think, so um, Whole Foods and Amazon are kind of leading some of this. Like they're, they're setting the pace, I feel like, for some people. And um, one of the things I'm looking at is their motivation is very different. Uh, they need the data. They need to know what your buying habits are. They need to know what your family size is. They need to know um, a lot of information about you where they can sell a higher margin item that they can fulfill from a warehouse. So I'm wondering if this is similar to when they shut down Barnes and Noble and, and like 
kind of massively impacted the book selling business because their motivation was different. Uh, totally, totally see what you're So let me let me answer that a slight different, you know, in a slightly different direction. So um, it, it's it's a it's a war. It's a battleground out there in grocery. And it's going to get more violent, more aggressive, and and I'll even use the term bloodbath over the next several years. And there's going, there are going to be dead bodies on the side of the road. There's going to be victors. There's going to, there's going to be losers. And there's going to be niche players out there today that's that survive. So how are they going to do that? It's a shifting paradigm, right? And the whole shifting paradigm is your traditional grocery store of of going and, and pulling your items and shopping yourself. There's a massive shift towards that. Now, will all of the grocery stores um, change or have to change? No. Uh, we, we at Fabric believe that somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of the existing footprint, there's about 45,000 physical grocery stores in the U.S., so we believe that fundamentally 25 to 30 percent of that footprint that's out there today will be converted into hybrid-based shopping experiences where you've got uh, an electronic, you know, a, a micro-fulfillment automated center that's working in conjunction with a whole new experiential type of shopping yeah. environment. And then that, that micro-fulfillment center, or MFC, uh, and we actually, we, we termed the word MFC at Fabric um, a couple of years ago, uh, that'll be able to handle both your click and collect simultaneously with your online e-commerce fulfillment. And also from an experience perspective where you go into the store, you're shopping, and you can say, hey, look, you know, my center aisle stuff, that's the stuff you're gonna automate me, my mm -hmm. center aisle stuff, Here's, here's my center aisle stuff that I, that I want and I'm recurring by. I'm going to go ahead and say, hey, I'm here. Let's go ahead and fulfill that. And then I'm going to go pick my fresh, get my meat, get my, get my sliced deli because I prefer doing that. I'm not saying you can't do that automated, but I prefer doing that. And then when I'm done, there's a merging of the, of the order. So I get a merging of the automated because I didn't really care to go up and down and pick up my trash bags and my Cheerios and things that I need to buy. But it's sitting there waiting for me or maybe even sitting there going into the back of my vehicle. Yeah. So it's going to be a whole hybrid-based experience. And we believe that there will be upwards towards um, you know, 10,000 or more micro-fulfillment centers that are hybrids with grocery stores over the next five to seven years. Uh, starting today, so the the wave is starting absolutely today. As you're designing the MFC, um, how are you thinking about profitability per square foot and vertical? Um, are, like, are you taking into account ceiling height and, and all that, I mean, or how are you, how are yeah, you designing? No, 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 absolutely. So, one of the um, you know the 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 benefits of what we've done with Fabric is being a startup in this space. And we, um, while we are a startup, we've got proven technology. We're an Israeli-based company, so uh, but we've moved our corporate headquarters to New York City. Uh, we've got 160 developers over in Israel that are focused on this, and we took an operator-first approach. In other words, our first two locations, we were the operator of it on behalf of our customers. That optimized our system, and now we're taking that um, with a, a large Series B funding round that will be eminently announced in order to aggressively um, uh, be able to um, participate in the high growth in the U.S. We're getting pulled here pretty quickly. So um, when we built this, it's, been on, it's on a very flexible backbone. So a lot of the applications or, or you know, some of our competitors out there have taken and they're, they're, they're putting jogging clothes on the dinosaur, right? They've taken old shuttle-based technology that's 15, 20 years old. They've strapped on 40-year-old warehouse management technology that wasn't designed for same day for, for this type of application, cobbled it together, put a bow around it and said, poof, now it's an MFC. 
Well, they've, they've not really fundamentally rethought the entire process of building a micro, a flexible micro-fulfillment center, which is what we've done. So from a ceiling high perspective, we're, we're, not, we, we're not limited. So we can go down as low, and we have. Down as low as 10 or 12 feet. Not optimal. Optimal is about 16, 18 feet or above. Uh, but we can go down as low as 10 to 12 feet. We can go down as small as 6,000 square feet and, and have a profitable, highly dense uh, micro-fulfillment center. Um, optimal in grocery, you're probably talking 15, you know, somewhere in the 15 to 20,000 square feet range. But we can go bigger. We can go, you know, 30, 40,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. We can do 10,000 SKUs. We can do 80,000 SKUs. So we've designed a system to not only be very flexible, but also be um, extensible without having to replicate an entire for, uh, footprint. Because one of the, the big things that we're getting asked about groceries is that, Steve, I don't know where this is going. I see what my demand is. And if I'm going to invest in or partner with you as a service provider or a platform provider, because we do both, um, I want to make sure that I know I can I can extend that, and, and it's not going. I don't have to re-implement or buy another system. And and we're the only ones out there today that have built um, a framework for a, a micro fulfillment center that's extensible. So one of the things you talked about earlier was the automated process, right? So it's in, in creating creating an automated process. And one of the phrases I've heard as we look at the future of uh, digitized processes, not just in micro-fulfillment, but across you know, verticals, across industries, is the digitization of, of workforce. Um, and one of the phrases I've heard recently is taking the robot out of the person, right? And so when you have somebody physically automatic, you know, physically picking in a location, what I thought of was one is, you know, how accurate is that? How much time does it take versus now if we're going to move over to this, what is the efficiency win there? Sure, absolutely. So a couple points on that. Number one is one of the most frustrating points of doing a online order where it's being filled by manual pickers and stores is the goods aren't in stock that you order. Yeah, my wife does it. So my wife orders online, and we're an early adopter family. And every time she does it, without a doubt, she's getting messages back within the app saying, out of stock, don't have this, don't have this, don't have that. So the, one, of the, one of the core benefits is not only is accuracy because robots pick 100% accurately. Right? Yeah. They, they, they don't make mistakes. It's in this bin. I take it out. I put it here. Uh, humans make mistakes. What, what are the mistakes? They're anywhere from 5 to 10% where you get the wrong item, which is pretty daggone high. It can be very frustrating. Yeah, that's like sending a two-year-old to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, then, and the other one is, is that we know exactly what's in our grocery store, right? Because the micro-fulfillment center, in essence, is a replication of the, the you know, frequently purchased goods or all the goods, if you want. And we know exactly what the inventory is. And we've got a live link to all the order entry systems. We're not an order entry system, so we'll... We'll link up to the custom in-house, we'll link up to Instacart, we link up to everybody. And they can do a live lookup of the inventory so that when someone orders it, it actually guarantees that that item's there and is placed and and you're 100% accurate in getting that product. So the quality, the speed, and the actual shopping experience is radically increased with micro-fulfillment centers versus the whole dinosaur way of manually picking uh, your stores or creating dark stores. Um, And then the other part is just cost. So you're, it's really about a magnitude difference in cost. So it's, it's literally tenfold difference in, in increase in price in having a person manually pick, particularly U.S. You've got some low-labor com- countries where it's, it's different. 
but mainly the U.S. market, uh, core European market, and I'll say Japan, um, where just the cost of that labor is 10x to go and have walk around and pick versus have robotics do that. Um, giving you a very fast return on your investment or allowing you to have um, use this as a service model where you know we provide that with zero capex up front when you're designing out the the system how are you thinking about the modularity are you thinking about different size packaging different goods to like um and are you primarily doing um you mentioned staples basically center aisle sure you're are you looking at um Anything in the produce side or anything like that? How does the actual physical tech? Sure, sure. So, so um, a couple things on that. One is there's really three core temperature zones that you have in it. One being ambient, which is mainly room temperature, for our call the center aisle of the store. Uh, then you've got chilled, so we've got an automated chilled section, and then you've got frozen. And, and frozen, um, depending upon the volume, it may be better to keep it as a manual pick or automate it because mm-hmm. frozen is an expensive operating costs to keep, keeping it free, you know, the freezers are expensive and everything else. Right now, today, we found that the business models are tipping towards keeping frozen as a manual pick at the end of it and automating the chilled and the ambient, but we can automate all three if desired. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's three different zones that you put in. How we design that is based on the mix and your target market and what your ordering patterns are. And we can flex those, so we kind of design them over capacity. Uh, the actual totes themselves, two different size totes. So we've got a 360 and a 240 tote. Doesn't mean anything to you, but think about the 360 being tall enough to handle a large bottle of detergent or a large soda bottle standing upright. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller totes are really for your smaller, flatter items out there today. Um, and, and we can't automate everything. So you're not going to automate, you know, in the U.S., we do things, you know, it's go big or go home, right? So you don't buy four packs of toilet paper. You buy 54 packs of toilet paper for some unknown reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> Have you been looking in my closet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for the large bulk items... Um, we actually can. We actually have a, a process to find it in place. We'll keep those in an adjacent area, and we'll do this as a manual manual merge pick. So, in other words, the system actually handles all that. We know it's a manual pick, and we merge the orders back at the end, back together. Or you could actually keep those in store and do it as a manual merge pick with um, uh, uh, with what's being done, picked in a store, whether you want to do fresh or, or produce or otherwise. Um, produce, we, we do automate the entire thing, and that is, um, it's not easy to do. And that's why a lot of people are not in this space. You know, we've, we've spent over $50 million on our platform alone optimizing it. And there's a lot of things in place on produce where you've got to do things like the system will automatically do quality checks for you. And it'll send the produce back, and, and, and you do it during low times where a person actually visually inspects it or remove items from there that may not be up to quality and send it back in. Uh, we also know the expiration dates of everything. The system automatically knows the expiration dates of everything, and we'll do a reverse uh, order of how it fulfills orders based on the expiration dates of what it knows is in the bins. Um, so we've had to optimize a lot of uh, a lot of the process around fresh and produce that you typically wouldn't do for, say, a health and beauty application. When you're looking at the automation, um, are you looking at technologies like? Avery Dennison and others, where they're going towards RFID tagging on fresh items and um, kind of matching the expiration dates from a scan, or how are you handling that? Is it um, sort of like a first in, last out type? Sure, sure. So I, ideally, it'll be tote-based inbound, meaning that the produce will come in 
in one of our totes. So actually from a regional fulfillment, so from a, one of the dinosaur locations, from one of the large yeah. fulfillment centers, will actually take our totes, they'll put, put the items in those totes, and then those totes would be marked with the actual expiration date, which we will then enter into the system and match. Um, we don't do it down at the individual item level. We'll actually do the expiration dates on a tote or bin basis. You know, so we can actually have eight different SKUs within each tote. Okay. So we've kind of automated that one step further. Also, we, we, we automatically talk to, from an API um, application program, so a messaging perspective, um, we know what goods are expected to come in. So the system already knows I'm getting this much of this produce, this is the expiration date, and then a human is actually doing the decanting or taking that and putting it into the system, which is an automated manner as well, and it matches against what we expect and what's, what came in. Uh, so we've designed an entire quality process around that. Number one, number two is we've designed it where it's optimal, fast, and cost and cost effective. So you got to the uh, R and D piece right when I was thinking uh, about that. You know, fifty million dollars of investment—that's pretty significant. How much time has it taken to develop something like this? I mean, to me, the way I look at it. What's happening now is that you have those market pressures, not only from the consumer, but set by, um, you know, the Internet and the, you know, the one that we've already mentioned, um, you know, that the speed to market or it would be um, imperative. I would have to think uh, for the for the uh, retailers. Yeah, absolutely. So if we have a. I'll say an environment ready for micro fulfillment, so you're not giving me, you know, a field with weeds in it and you know a, a lean to. But if I've got a proper, you know, a proper environment, you're, I have to say you are you're probably one of our more visual yeah, uh, guests. Really like <laughs> um, so if, if I've got a proper environment where we can actually um, go in and put up the racks and robots, uh, we can have somebody live within a hundred days. Uh, which is and we're actually working on that. One of the key um, tenants moving forward is speed. Um, so we're actually looking at different ways to uh, better componentize and better automate the execution and the flexibility of deployment and also the flexibility of, um, of scaling that up or down um, on demand. So we believe that, that the whole fulfillment area will evolve just like um, web service, Amazon Web Services and cloud services have, where in the beginning people did a lot of it in-house. And then over time, they did. They started moving some of their processing out of house to a scalable environment. We believe it's still going to be a hybrid approach to that, even in the grocery world, where in the beginning they're going to keep all this, the micro fulfillment, the automation of that tightly controlled in house. But then as we move forward, because if, as Fabric, we're building a network of, uh, of fulfillment centers as well that we're going to own and operate, and that'll augment for the grocery world. That'll be kind of a public network that'll augment your private network. That'll give you reach beyond what your stores can get reached. I was to just today. it's such an exciting proposition because we've yeah, seen some absolutely. of those major retailers try to go into urban markets and and it didn't work out with neighborhood stores, you know, for a variety of reasons. Right. Um, but I think you know giving access to those areas that they might might not previously even have had a presence, I think has to be an exciting proposition for, you know, revenue growth uh, for, for those companies, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's Retail's also, not going away, it's just changing. Yeah. yeah. It's also interesting to think about food deserts and so on, because we do have major planning issues in a lot of our big cities and thinking about how you can um, change store footprint sizes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is ideal for highly dense areas, but it also works for urban. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at, at areas, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, right? So Atlanta, Georgia is not one city. It's a series of about a dozen micro cities. 
And then around those micro cities, you've got some high dense population, but it's not high rises. It's just high dense, high income populations where that would be a perfect area to put micro fulfillment centers uh, because these are these are people that work. They work a lot of hours. They're going to come home and they, they demand this type of on demand order to delivery or fulfillment service. So. Um, you're going to see them sprinkled again. They work incredibly well. We we put one in a in a in a parking garage. You'll see us do more in the parking garages. Um, you know, we we can take an existing parking garage and convert it into a grocery based micro fulfillment center. Such an interesting uh, use of real estate, given where the projections are on on automobiles for the future, and it's more of a shared economy uh, kind of thing. Absolutely. So yeah. leveraging those uh, you know underutilized spaces. It's repurposing real estate. You're going to see a lot of repurposing of real estate moving forward into a number of different areas, right? Uh, Reef Technologies, right? So Reef Technologies has gone out and acquired a bunch of parking lots, and they're creating urban hubs. And uh, we're working with Reef to to look at, at opportunities and options of, of building micro-fulfillment centers you know, within their existing footprint. So they've got their own network, and we can put a, either a service-based center or a private network on there for a particular customer. Uh, in parking parking lots, and these parking lots are in high dense urban areas, but they're being underutilized because Uber, Lyft, uh, yeah. and ultimately, you know, autonomous vehicles. That's also interesting to think about, um, like Common and other companies that are shifting how we purchase space to live in. Absolutely, and um, you can start to look at communal spaces and, and so on. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, Lots, lots of, lots of changes are brewing, guys. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really. I'll tell you what. I've been, uh, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm losing sleep over the excitement of the paradigm shift. Um, you know, with, with, you know, with what's disruptive technology, and it's necessary disruptive technology by moving fulfillment closer to the consumers, by automating it, and getting it profitable. It's, um, it's a, it's a massive, um, it's going to be a massive shift, and and. It's inevitable if people are going to play in the game of e-commerce. So, what is if I'm a, an end-user retailer in grocery? You know, how would I get started? Like, what are the most commonly asked questions? And then, what are maybe some of the, you know, what are sure. their concerns they, around first it? Question is they how have much? To, yeah, they have to. <laughs> how much to is know that? How much is that dog right? in the window? Right? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so they're they're interested in in cost, you know, price, time. Um, capabilities, uh, scale—you know all of the all of the things that you would you would ask before. And, and you know, from that perspective, from a cost standpoint, we've got very flexible business models. So we understand that you know not everyone is capital rich on on how they do. So we also have a zero capital, full service based model. If that's something that'll work for you, we can do that as a private network, or or do it as a public network where I could make it multi tenant, which can drive your cost down. So that's one model. All the way over to the other side, which says, look, we're going to use your, your real estate and we're going to use your CapEx because maybe you, you've got a bunch of money on your balance sheet and you want to drop your OpEx, your operating um, down as low as possible on this. And we've got financial models that work absolutely for that as well. Uh, we're incredibly well capitalized with some of the largest private equity firms in the world. So, you know, access to capital to accelerate deployment and to scale you know, not an issue at all. We uh, we own the entire full stack of technology, unlike most competitors in the market, where everything from the robotic design to the software and the software is the key here, guys. I mean, we're a we're a software artificial intelligence company. The robotics are a means to execute our software. Uh, hence, that's why we end up changing our name mainly from Common Sense Robotics to to, uh, to Fabric. Um, 
so that from a scale standpoint, you know, we can we can do that. And we're also partnering with some of the largest system integrators in the world that can help, you know, execute to the in the field um, if people want to deploy these faster. So um, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting because everyone knows they have to do this. They're trying to figure out when. And um, there's, you know, 20, I would say 2019 and 2020, you're going to see a lot of uh, test and learn where people are doing one to five of these micro-fulfillment centers. Mm-hmm. And they might be trying them in different types of environments, maybe a shared um, dark store type environment that's fully automated by us uh, or in conjunction with their adjacent to existing stores, you know, or as a service. And then... 2021, we see it as uh, basically, if you're a Jeffrey Moore fan, we see the tornado hitting like there's no tornado you've ever seen before. And um, and guys, we plan to be riding that tornado and not sitting on the sidelines with messed up hair. Um, I'm loving the visuals. Another visual. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and dinosaurs don't have hair, so I'm not a dinosaur and I won't be on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. So one of the questions that that's kind of coming up for me now is how do brands play into it and so you're talking about micro fulfillment at the retail level um one of the questions that's coming up right now is how does a heinz how does a johnson and johnson how do they own their experience with the customers because that's also shifting and are you thinking at all about fulfillment centers for png uh png and johnson and johnson and and companies like that or do you think it's always going to stay at the retail level? So, um, totally understand your point. So, we are a, we're a pickaxe provider to the miners. So, we're not a miner. Um, so, we will be providing tools, um, execution tools. We've got the 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 most flexible um, micro fulfillment center uh, platform on the planet. So, we do see the CPGs getting into the mix on here. So, if you think about it. Retailers, grocery stores are becoming manufacturers, and manufacturers are becoming retailers, right? So there's there's a, a blurred line. Um, so you've got the grocery stores out there, and, and rightfully so, coming up with their own brands, similar to what Amazon has come up with, and it's a highly profitable business for them. And on the other hand, you've got the CPGs that are going direct to consumer. Um, so it's a bit of a cooperation between the manufacturers and retailers. This is not an unknown. This has been out there for a while. I just think it's being amplified and accelerated with, uh, with e-commerce. So a couple of different areas that we see the market moving in there relative to micro-fulfillment. First is, is we are in discussions with, with uh, many of the world's largest CPGs about uh, their direct-to-consumer fulfillment. They want to be able to do click-to-delivery one hour profitably. Um, it would be a perfect application in that mode as a public network, so more of a service model versus a private network being our platform within a grocery store, uh, because they're going to want they're going to want their volume may not be as high, and they don't mind sharing a cohabitate cohabitation in one of our fulfillment centers with other people who aren't competitors, mm-hmm. keeping their costs down. Right. Um, the other one is in a B two B perspective. So let's think about this for a second. Uh, consumers have lost their patience, right? And they want everything within an hour. You know, I've got a 16-year-old, and she's like, what do you mean, Dad? I walk over to the store. I got this thing in my hand, and I kind of push a button, and stuff comes to me. And, oh, by the way, it's free because they think it's free because yeah, Dad's charge cards. Yes, on yeah. of course. Yeah. It's, really cool. <laughs> it's really cool how Starbucks, like everything in Starbucks is free if you have this magical, mystical app that Dad signed in on. So it's really kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so from a you know so there's a whole 
there's a whole area of business to business that is is going to be and is starting to be, come under the same stress and pressure as business to consumer, right? Because now you've got stores out there and the stores are getting leaner and leaner, right? They don't want to keep as much inventory. They're trying to keep their costs down, uh, but they've got to have the right product on the right shelf at the right point in time. So let's, let's play this out for a second. So imagine I came from the world of image recognition. So um, where you convert images, digital images of products on shelves into data and you leverage that for business intelligence and insights. Um, so imagine if you were able to, whether it's being you know, through robotics, fixed cameras or, or an app within a store, the merchandisers or the store people actually take images of the products on the shelf. And, and then through that, you can automatically figure out what is out of shelf. Well, most stores don't have back stock inventory for a lot of their items anymore, depending on the type of store. So imagine right then and there that that image could be converted to an order. That order could be dynamically and automatically sent to one of my micro-fulfillment centers. My micro-fulfillment center kicks off a message over to yeah. a dynamic workforce, Uber, Lyft, a billion of them others out there, that's deployed to come pick up that order. That order is actually delivered to that store in under an hour to fulfill that We've need. seen that in fashion a lot. Um, yeah, absolutely. Where uh, they're doing restock and and shifting of inventory yeah. based on sales patterns in stores. I also it's think coming. that it's answers coming. the question and supports the the challenge at the front end of a grocery store for the impulse buy. That's been something that's circulated around and those kinds of uh, products that are at that cash wrap. If now if we're going to diminish the cash wrap, what happens to the impulse buy? Right. So the you know I, I think you know from that perspective. The experience of grocery stores and shopping is only going to be optimized, not diminished. So I think automation doesn't take that away. You're not going to, you know, you may be replicating some of those items that are automated into the impulse buy area. You know, and there's a lot of... Which I think is great yeah, because, I mean, it's that's been on the table, you know, by those major, you know... Sure. Candy manufacturers in particular Absolutely. have been yep. concerned about that and trying to answer that question, I don't know, for the last few years for sure. Yeah, I mean, even in, in checkout list areas, you're still going to have the impulse buying. That, yes. that's, that is yes. absolutely not yeah. going to go away. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's some, some will say if the, you know, the Amazon Go effect of going in and picking up stuff and just literally walking out the door to do it. Um, but there's a lot of really smart marketers that'll figure out way to place other eyeball based impulse buys <laughs> yeah. that'll force me to buy something that I probably shouldn't be buying anyway. Yeah. We're actually working on a, um, something to handle that for locker systems. So it's, it's kind of interesting where we believe we can do, um, neighborhood activations right? Absolutely. based on lockers. Absolutely. The other thing I think that this offers the end user is control of that last mile relationship. Right. And the brand actually, um, you know, people spend a lot of time, money, energy and effort in developing their brand image, their value proposition as a retailer, as a brand. You know, if you can own that through now the fulfillment process that really and not having that be a relationship outside of your control through an on, you know, through some other e-commerce platform that really changes Absolutely. That's, that's right. That's where the private network comes into play, particularly for grocery companies where, you know, in essence, you're white labeling our platform, putting it in your environment and, you know, just delivering just just wonderful, fantastic customer service. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, when it, it comes down it's to huge. it, you've got to delight your customers. Customers are going to be delighted if they order something and it gets fulfilled, delivered accurately on the time that you said it was going to. 
what really makes people mad today with the manual pick world, because again, manual pick world, you're constrained by humans and time and the time they spend to do it. And you get this whole thing of, oh my gosh, all the slots are filled, right? Mm -hmm. To me, I'm ordering something. I'm, I'm like, what, what do you mean that slots that's, that's are That's not my issue, right? That's not yeah. my issue. That's your issue. Right. I, I don't want this slot. I don't want the 10 to 11 p.m. slot because I'm kind of sort of in bed, you know, watching my TV at that point in time, and I don't want to be bugged by someone coming to my door. So the slots are filled issue has got to go away. The slot, and that goes away by automation, which can handle surging a lot better, which doesn't sleep, which doesn't require human scheduling, which doesn't require human errors. Uh, so again, I think the, the delighting of your customer uh, is just going to go absolutely through the roof through the leverage utilization of micro-fulfillment centers from Fabric. The way that you've been talking about it, you've been clearly thinking a lot about um, this industry and the way it's working and, and you're deep inside of it. I'd love to know where um, your drive and your thought process has come from. Like As you've built your career and as you've been you know, going from image recognition to what you're doing now, um, what's something from your past that kind of drives that? And so I, I think you know, I guess more from a you know, on a personal perspective, what what really drives and motivate, motivates me is um, bring, bringing new, advanced, disruptive technology to market and educating people on the benefits of that, um, on the applications of the use cases for that. And then helping them realize those benefits, and then them coming back and saying, "Steve, thank you. Uh, this is awesome. We didn't expect this. We didn't want you. We didn't know we had to do this this fast, but we appreciate that you've you know, you've come in to help our company. You know, take their business or fix this problem or or you know, done this another way. So, yeah, you know, that's from a personal perspective. That is, um, you know, that's what motivates me and, and keeps me driving." Uh, you know, every single day, and this in this whole area of micro fulfillment, what Fabric is doing is fundamentally going to help you know accelerate um, you know grocery store execution to this opportunity, um, and it's going to ward off the enemy. I mean, my enemy is Amazon. I'll be honest with you, right? Because yeah, I mean, it's just, hard to get through a conversation with everyone's that. everyone's <laughs> yeah. enemy is Amazon. Yeah. Um, from that perspective, and helping the companies out there. Um, leverage technology that they can and services that they can not only compete with Amazon but actually beat them uh, because in the grocery world again let's, let's place out again there's 45,000 physical locations that means there's 45,000 opportunities to put in fulfillment next to the customers Amazon doesn't have 45,000 they're doing large ones they're going to figure out some ways of doing it but in the world of grocery, I think there is an opportunity for a significant number of players to grab hold, accelerate, and optimize um, their customer value chain right now. Um, you know, so in essence, self-cannibalize, right? So, they, so they, they've got to understand that they're eating their own and be comfortable with that because if they don't, someone else is going to take those customers away from them. So I think that's one of the biggest realizations that, you know, a lot of these the grocers have or are having is that e-commerce is, in some areas, it is accretive um, to what they're doing. But in other areas, it's literally cannibalizing and they, they, they need to embrace that and automate and optimize it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, any final thoughts and how can people be in touch with you? 
No, uh, absolutely. If uh, more information, come out and see us. Uh, new website, getfabric.com. Uh, We're hooked up with me on LinkedIn. There aren't many Steve Hornyaks out there. Uh, H-O-R-N-Y-A-K. You can find me on LinkedIn. Hook up with me. Send me a private message. Uh, would love to um, yeah, communicate with you, get back to you, and see what we can do to, uh, to help out. So um, thank you so much. And this is Rob Sanchez saying good night, y'all. Thank you. And Anne-Marie signing off. This has been Grocery is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.